Have you ever waited for a long time for something? I remember when I was a young child, perhaps I've shared this story before, but we had things called cereal box prizes when I was a young child. Perhaps you are of age to remember that too. For some of you younger ones here, um, they don't have those anymore that I see. But we had to collect a certain number of, of barcodes off of cereal boxes, proving that we had eaten so much of this certain brand or kind of cereal. And then if we sent those into the mail to the company, they would send us some sort of a prize back in the mail. Now, as a young child, I didn't really understand the fine print, nor did I understand time, that when it said that that prize would come back in 12 to 16 weeks, that meant three or four months of checking the mailbox every day from day one until that prize finally came. For a young child, that is a long time. We often wait for things in life. But there is a day when suddenly it comes. Suddenly it happens. At the end of each time of waiting, there is a suddenly. You go to the mailbox and open it. Nowadays, it's you, you, know, you go to your email or other social media account and it's there. When, you know, many things come that way. But that one day when all of a sudden what you've been waiting for happens. This morning, I've titled the message, Waiting for the Suddenly. Waiting for the Suddenly. This is going to be kind of a Christmas message and kind of a looking to the future message, both. So kind of a Christmas, kind of a New Year's, we'll call it, message. The waiting for the suddenly happens for the Israelites as they waited for their Messiah. There was a day, a suddenly, when it happens. And the waiting for the suddenly happens for us in many areas of our life. So let's first look at the waiting. And we're going to look at the waiting for the Israelites, for their Messiah, and we're going to look at the waiting for us. For the Messiah, there were many in Israel who had waited for a long time. There's a passage all the way back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. This is at the time of the fall in the garden, and God is there talking to the man and the woman and the serpents and the, the dealing out you know, the, the retribution for the decisions they had made. But God promised in Genesis 3.15, way back then, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That's a prophecy showing that the offspring of humanity one day would crush Satan. That took a long time to happen. I'm sure there was excitement when that promise was given, that prophecy was given. And yet some 1,600 years later, a little more than that, we find that in humanity, there was only a family of eight that survived on the ark. The rest of the world was so wicked. So who had won at that point? Who did it look like had won? The seed of the woman or the serpent? Some 1,600 years they'd been waiting for the serpent's head to be crushed. But things kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then fast forward many hundreds, thousands of years later, we come to the prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, he said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. 
And they knew that this was a prophecy of the coming Messiah, the one who would crush the head of the serpent. Finally, a couple chapters later in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, in another familiar passage, Isaiah said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and it carries on. There can be no mistaking that this child that is born and the son that is given to humanity is God himself. Isaiah says, the mighty God, the everlasting father. There is no doubt. And I am sure when Isaiah gave these prophecies, there was excitement of the coming Messiah, of the one who would finally come to save his people and to crush the head of the serpent. And Isaiah lived some 700 years before Jesus came. 700 more years of waiting and waiting and waiting. It was a long time to wait. I won't ask for a show of hands of how many of you have waited for 700 years for something. <laughs> there better not be anybody. In our day, we are called to wait. We're called to wait for God to move. We have prayer meetings crying out to God for, to come to move in our own lives, in our own area, in our country, in the world. We call that to come in revival. We wait for that. We wait for his return. We wait for things to get better. We wait for our loved ones to turn to the Lord. We wait for healing. We wait. There's many things that we wait for. And in some passages in the New Testament, we're not going to turn to these and read them, but if you're taking notes, you can reference them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, it talks about waiting for his son from heaven. Paul was talking to the Thessalonians here, and there was two things that Paul commended these new believers on concerning their faith. One of them was that they turned from idols and they turned to the true and living God. The other thing Paul commended them for was that they waited for Jesus to return. And that was some 2,000 years ago that Paul commended these believers for waiting for Christ to come back. And here we are 2,000 years later, we're doing the same thing. We're waiting for Jesus to come. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, Titus 2.13 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some translations refer to this as the appearing of Jesus himself, but many others say the appearing of the glory of our great God. I believe this is what we would term revival, the coming when God comes in his great glory and he is glorified here on earth. And Paul said in Titus that we wait for that. That again was some 2,000 years ago, and there have been moves of God since then, but we wait for that final great move of God here on earth. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, it says, God saves those who eagerly wait for him. Hebrews 9, 28. That sounds like a, a, an opposite, doesn't it? Those who eagerly wait. Like, let's all get excited about waiting. 
Our human nature does not get excited about waiting. We get excited about having now or when things happen now. We don't get excited about the waiting process, but Paul encourages us to eagerly wait for God and even says God saves those who eagerly wait for him who wait on the Lord. There's often a pain involved in waiting. It's painful to wait. So what happens to us pretty easily when we have to wait? I have a few things here. One, and maybe this is just me, maybe this isn't you, but I tend to lose patience when I have to wait for something. Our children are a perfect example. Probably everybody's child or children are of this. We see it more easily in them. But when we're in the, the middle of a conversation or something else is going on and one of our children wants to get our attention, they will say our name. And then they'll say our name. And then they'll say our name. And then they'll say our name. 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 Mom, 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 mom. And the longer it goes on, the shorter their patience grows. And our, our patience dwindles a little bit at the same time too. <laughs> When we have to wait for something, it is easy for us to lose patience. And what happens to your attitude when you run low on patience? It suffers, doesn't it? So as we wait, if we allow ourselves to lose patience, our attitude will also sour at the same time. Something else that happens, the pain of waiting that easily happens is we lose heart. We lose heart. This last Wednesday, somebody passed our our children a gift and it was wrapped in birthday paper and they handed the gift to them and they said, you can open this anytime. So our kids ran up to us all excited and said, can we open it? Can we open it? Can we open it? Now their birthdays are this coming week on the 30th and the 31st. And uh, I paused for a little bit and I, I said, you know, there's a lot of gifts between now and your birthday. You have Christmas in between there and I think you should wait. And I specifically said, because waiting builds patience. That's easy for a dad to say that. (laughs) The gift still remains wrapped. But you know, when I said that, my children, specifically one who was there, as soon as I said that, I could tell they had lost heart already. Like, oh. But how often does that happen to us? when we have to wait and we know that we have to wait or we're expecting and something is delayed, um, it it causes us to lose heart. When Sarah and I were getting ready to move here and we had a 14-month window that we were not expecting as we waited for immigration and we'd wait 60 days and get another notice that we had to wait, every single time we got a notice of waiting, it was like, oh, here we are again. And we did, we lost heart in the process. It's easy to become discouraged as we have to wait. A third thing I thought of is it's easy to lose our urgency or even forget. It's easy to lose urgency and forget. There's a parable in the book of Matthew. This is at the end of the, I believe, called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, when Jesus told the disciples some signs of his coming and the the end of times. And so near the end of that, in Matthew 24, verses 48 through 51, Jesus tells a parable that we call the parable 
of the wicked servant. And it's the servant who said, my master delays his coming. There was this waiting, this pause, and this servant was having to wait. And in this parable, we find that he started making some pretty poor decisions. He lost urgency. He forgot, in a sense, and stopped really caring about doing what was right and trying to keep um, carrying on with what he knew he was supposed to be doing. Now, we call it the parable of the wicked servant. The Bible even refers to him as wicked. But I am pretty positive that if he had uh, portrayed these characteristics while his master was around, he would have already been fired. But he was still there. So I don't think he portrayed himself as a wicked servant in the presence of his master. It was only in the time of waiting that his true character came out, that he, he lost his urgency. And as he had to wait, he started partying, the, the Bible says. He started wasting his life and he started hurting other people. In other words, he stopped walking, the point of Jesus' parable, stopped walking as a true follower, as a Christian, and started making some really poor decisions So when we have to wait, we can forget the promises of God, the truths of his word. We can learn, lose our urgency. We can start making poor moral decisions when we kind of lose heart and lose urgency in the midst of waiting. Now, what does God tell us to do while we're waiting? He tells us to be patient. That's tough. But he does. In Psalms 40, verse 1, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. I waited patiently. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And it builds patience in us when we wait with a good attitude. But it's something that God calls us to do as well, to wait patiently. Patiently, Our problem as humans is we say, I need patience, Lord. Give it to me now. We're not very patient people by nature. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 25, Romans 8, 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope is the key to have patience while we wait. If we lose hope, we lose our patience. If we maintain hope that God will say, will do what he says he will do, that he will fulfill his promises, whether it's in our lifetime or somebody else's lifetime, if we maintain that hope, we keep our patience in the Lord. Again, Romans 8, 25, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So we wait with patience We also wait on the Lord. In a familiar passage in Isaiah 40, verse 31, it says, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, the strength to wait doesn't come from somewhere deep inside of us. It comes from the Lord, from God himself. And that's what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah 40, verse 31. Also in Psalms 27, 14, it says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. So back in that passage in Isaiah, it specifically mentions 
A couple different things that I want to talk about. It says, mount up with wings like eagles. Those who wait on the Lord can rise with wings like eagles. And we've been talking recently with all the, the you know, the sickness and also then the, the regulations to counter them. And it's been tough. I think if we all acknowledge it, it's not been the easiest thing to walk through. The last couple of years of our life, it's probably been some of the hardest for, for us to walk through. But Sarah and I have been talking recently how God calls us to rise above these earthly things. To not let them take us down, but that we maintain our walk with the Lord and fix our eyes on him. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. Those who wait on the Lord will rise above with wings like eagles, even when things are tough. And Isaiah says they will run and not be weary. How many of you have been able to do that, to run and not get weary? That's pretty hard, isn't it? <laughs> because our human bodies grow tired. That tells us that our strength is, this strength is not within ourselves, because we cannot do that. But Isaiah says, if you wait on the Lord, you can run and not grow tired. The Christian life is an endurance race that we only can win by waiting on God. It's the only way to win. And he also says they'll walk and not faint. So if your run is uphill, if you're going through a difficult time and your pace slows from a run to a jog to a walk, you can still not faint when you wait on the Lord, even in those difficult times. So God calls us to wait patiently. He calls us to wait on him. He also calls us, the third thing I have here is to be diligent, to be diligent. Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 14, he said, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, and the these it's referring to is in the previous verse, which is a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So he's telling people, since you're waiting for the earth to become a righteous place, and that will happen in eternity. Since you're waiting for that, he says, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent. Sarah told me recently she heard a, a mom tell her children, the children were waiting for something to happen. I think waiting for the mom to do something. And uh, while they were waiting, the mom looked at them and said, hustle while you wait. In other words, don't just sit around and do nothing waiting. Work while you wait. Make use of your time while you wait. I love that phrase. Maybe I'll pick that up in our home too. Kids, hustle while you wait. <laughs> you know, Jesus told several parables, and we'll look at a couple of these a little bit later on, but he told parables of masters and servants, and many of these parables have a very similar theme of the servants having to faithfully keep working while they were waiting for their master to return. And Jesus' point in every single one of those was, we need to do the same. We need to work diligently while we wait. So many in Israel waited for a long time, thousands of years for their Messiah. Many were not even alive, the ones who were waiting, were not around when Jesus actually came. Yet, they waited. We must also wait for many things in life. Some of the greatest for us being for the Lord to move and for his return. 
Again, there are many other things we wait for, but these are, I would say, the huge ones in Christianity that we wait for. So let's talk about the suddenly. The suddenly. There is an end to waiting, and it happens usually pretty suddenly. So let's look back when Jesus came the first time. There's a couple people specifically in the Christmas story, the accounts of Jesus' birth. There's two different people that say, says that they were waiting. One of those is Simeon, and one of those is Anna. We're not going to read the whole passages, but concerning Simeon in Luke chapter 2 and verse 25, Luke 2.25, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, or waiting for the Messiah, Luke 2.25. Now, later on, when you read this passage, you see that Simeon basically says, I've seen the Messiah, now I can die. So we would assume that Simeon's not a young guy if he says, I'm ready to go now. So it doesn't tell us how long he was waiting, but it does point out very specifically that he was waiting, waiting for Jesus to come. But suddenly, the day happened. Suddenly, Jesus came and he met Jesus. In the account with Anna, A few verses later in Luke chapter 2, she also comes up and she hears Simeon talking. And her response is in Luke chapter 2, verse 38. It says, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So this is Anna and many others. She knew many people who were also waiting for the Messiah. There were probably many who had given up heart or who did not care or be concerned. But she knew a group of people, ones who were waiting. And when she heard that Jesus was there and had come, she went and told all the ones who were waiting. And the day suddenly came for all those who were waiting. In Malachi chapter 2, Malachi being the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2, verses 17, the end of that verse, and then into the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. This is what it says. Where is the God of justice? So this this is the end of chapter 2. The people crying out, where's the God of justice? Where is he? And then the answer is in chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. He suddenly came. Now, if you know history a little bit, there's an over 400 year section of time between Malachi and the New Testament. So he gave this prophecy The people were crying out, where is the God of justice? And Malachi says, he is coming suddenly. And they waited over 400 years more. To put that in perspective, that's like somebody giving a prophecy in the year 1600 and then it coming to pass tomorrow. Okay? That's before America was even a country. That's way, way, way back. That's a long time. But there was a suddenly. 
And God said, it will happen suddenly. And it did. Jesus came suddenly to earth. In our day, fast forwarding now to our time, things can change in an instant. Just because things have been the way they are for a period of time, sometimes a long period of time, it doesn't mean that they will always be that way. Things can change quickly. And these suddenly changes can be for the good. They can also be for the bad. These suddenly changes. I would say we've seen some suddenly changes recently that are not for the good. It wouldn't be a fairly balanced sermon if I only pointed out how things suddenly get better. It's suddenly both ways. God moves suddenly. Sometimes that suddenly is in a judgment. Sometimes that suddenly is in a blessing. I think it's safe to say that everything that happens to us in our life is some form of a blessing. And sometimes those blessings are in disguise. As Romans 8.28 says, we quote it all the time, that all things work together for our good. Sometimes those blessings are difficult things. But the other way that God moves or things happen in people's lives, or even in nations, is some form of a judgment as well. So we're going to look at a couple things um, historically first on the negative side and then get that out of the way and we'll look at the positive side. People heard Noah preach for some 100 years. That's a long time to listen to a guy preach. And his message was pretty much the same. But there was a day of suddenly and that was a day of judgment for the people of the earth who didn't listen. And the storm actually came. The storm actually happened. Noah and his family were saved. Their salvation was a day suddenly. They'd been waiting and preparing for a long time. But for the rest of the world, that day was a day of judgment. And it came suddenly as well. Even though they were told about it for a long time, it came suddenly. I was also thinking in the New Testament of a parable Jesus told At the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he talks about uh, a man who was wise and built his house on a rock and a man who was foolish and built it on the sand. Most of us are probably familiar with that story. What we're not told is the time frame. We're not told the length. But we know both of these people had time to build an entire house. That takes time if you've been in construction. I would imagine that they probably had time to live in the house as well. But there was a day, there was a suddenly in both of their lives when the storm came. There was a suddenly. We know the story. The man with the house on the sand, his house was destroyed. And Jesus' point in this parable is not talking about physical houses and storms and telling you how to draw better blueprints and build a better foundation for your home. He's talking about our lives. Because he says, it's clear that the foundation was Jesus. So one had his whole life built on Jesus Christ. The other one did not. But both had good looking houses. Both on the outside looked good. But when the storm eventually came, there was a suddenly day when the one person was turned away from the Lord. 
even though they looked good, their foundation was incorrect. So everything looked fine until the day the storm came. So our lesson for us is to build our life on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there will be a day in our life when a storm suddenly comes. Something great and negative and difficult happens in our life. And if our true foundation is not the Lord Jesus Christ, it will turn us away. If our true foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ, we will stand firm because we'll have learned to wait patiently and to wait on the Lord, even in the midst of our difficulties. So the Lord can move suddenly in in judgment, but he can move suddenly in blessing as well. Consider these. Joseph was in prison until the day he became the second in command in Egypt. He had years of difficulty and things going wrong in his life, knowing that God had given him a promise, but he didn't see it. And for years he waited and things got worse. But in this day, suddenly he became second to Pharaoh. One day. David was out tending the sheep like normal. When one day his father called him, suddenly from the field, and he was anointed to be king of the nation. He went from being a boy shepherd to knowing he was going to be king in one day. He also lost everything as a grown-up when he was at Ziklag and running for his life and now had this city and he lost everything. The town was attacked. They lost their families. They lost their possessions. He and all the men with him. And three days later, they had it all back and he was the king. Three days after losing everything. Suddenly, it changed. Suddenly, what he knew was supposed to happen and had waited for years and years to happen, happened. Right at the end of a really tough time. The apostle Paul was killing Christians. Suddenly, God spoke to him on the road to Damascus and his life was changed like that. Suddenly, he was also suddenly arrested while he was preaching, declaring the news of Jesus. And all of a sudden he was arrested. He was put in prison and he could have gone, well, that's the end. I'm in jail now. I guess I'll be here for the rest of my life. But he didn't. He praised God and he rejoiced. And suddenly he was released from prison. All within 24 hours. Preaching in jail miraculously released out of jail. Incredible, isn't it? Suddenly, God moved on his behalf. And God can move very suddenly in our own lives and our own circumstances as well. So as we come to the last section for the sermon for today, I want to talk about how to be ready for suddenly. We already said it's important to wait patiently, to wait on the Lord, to be diligent in our times of waiting. There's um, four that I have specific passages in the Bible where Jesus talks to people who are waiting for things to suddenly happen. And we're going to look at two of these and just reference a couple others. But one is in Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 36. Again, how to be ready for suddenly. Luke 21, 34 through 36. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts 
be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all on the, who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So he says specifically in verse 35, it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And he's talking about the end, the day when Christ comes back, that suddenly. And he says it will happen to everybody. And that is true, isn't it? Whether we're alive when Jesus actually comes for his second coming, the day of our end will happen. It will come for all of us. We will no longer be here. That's part of living is that we eventually all will go. We'll all die. But while we're waiting for that suddenly in our own life, here's what we need to do in this passage. Avoid getting weighed down with wrong things and even the cares of this life. He specifically says, avoid letting your hearts be weighed down with this presence. How easy is that, you know, to do when things happen that are difficult, that we don't like? We can easily get weighed down. Some of us may have experienced that in the last couple of weeks when things happened that were difficult for us to receive. But Jesus says, don't get weighed down with the cares of life. Fix your eyes on me. Another thing it says here is to stay awake at all times. Now, this is not encouraging, you know, 24 hours a day, no sleep. That's not what it means. Science has proven you can't really do that more than three days in a row without dying. We're designed to sleep. But what it's saying is in our walk with the Lord, in our spiritual life, stay awake. And that is actually a theme in all four of these passages that talk about waiting for the suddenly to happen, all four of them say, stay awake. So that tells me it is our human nature, our natural response to start falling asleep. And in the times that we're living in, it's, it's not enough in our walk with the Lord to come to church once a week and walk with him none of the rest of the week to just think that church will be our fulfillment. It's not enough, going to be enough strength for us to endure, for us to be able to stay awake. We've got to have a close walk with the Lord. So what do you feel like when things are tough? What do you feel like when you're tired and you're worn out and you're downcast? You feel like sleeping. You feel like giving up. You feel like taking a break, maybe just crashing. That's a natural response, isn't it? We cannot do that in our walk with the Lord. This is not a discouragement from taking a break or taking a vacation. That's not the point of this. The point is that we don't start to ease down in our walk with God. We can't not let that slip. Again, all four passages we're looking at all clearly say, stay awake. That is number one thing to being ready for the suddenly as we wait. In Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 37, the beginning of verse 37, Jesus said this, Luke 12, starting in verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning 
And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. There we go again. Jesus said right at the beginning of this, stay dressed for action. And my first thought when I read that through was, well, that's like the Minutemen. That was like the guys back in our early history who stayed in their uniforms and they were ready in a minute for any conflict. That's what it's saying. In our Christian life, we have to always stay dressed and alert. Keeping on our garments of righteousness before the Lord. It also says, keep your lamps burning which made me immediately think of the parable of the five wise virgins and the five foolish ones, the foolish ones who let their lamps go out. And at the end, it was too late. The wise one kept their lamps burning. Didn't let their relationship with God grow cold would be how we would compare it to our lives. And then it says, be like a waiting servant. And it specifically says, so that when the master comes home and knocks or he's at the door, they'll open the door to him at once. Like they are ready for him to come back. They are waiting for him to come back. They're not back partying in some other part of the building. They're at the door waiting so they can open it for him when he comes. So be like the waiting servants. There's two other passages that I I will just reference. We're not going to read, but if you are taking notes, you can mark down Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 37. In another similar passage here, Jesus again encourages to stay awake. He also in this one says, be on guard. Don't let your guard down. Mark chapter 13, 32 through 37. And we have to not let our guard down in our walk with the Lord. Finally, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, For you note takers, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 8, two things specifically I want to point out here. And the first one is stay awake. Again, common theme here. But the other thing that Paul says in Thessalonians is be sober. As you wait, be sober. And if you look that up, if you take it literally, it means to abstain from alcohol or other things that hinder your judgment. So when it says be sober in your walk with the Lord, it's avoid things that will hinder your ability to make wise decisions. Some of the most foolish decisions that people make and sometimes lands people in jail for years is done when they're not in their right mind. When they've taken something that hinders their judgments. So I don't believe any of us here go to that sort of extreme, but there are things in our life that we can participate in that can hinder our ability to make wise decisions in our walk with the Lord. And so when Paul says, be sober, he's saying, avoid those things because you want to be able to make wise decisions at all times, at all times. So in conclusion today, At the end of each time of waiting, the suddenly happens. It does. It will happen and suddenly. The waiting and the suddenly happen for the Israelites. There was a day when their Messiah 
came. Suddenly he came. And the waiting and the suddenly happens for us in many areas of our life. The waiting for the Lord to move, it will happen. And the waiting for the Lord to come back, it will happen. Whether it's in our lifetime or somebody else's, but we must faithfully wait. We must be patient and diligent. We must stay on guard and stay awake. We must not get weighed down with cares and worries of this life and other things that will cause us to lose our judgment. We must stay sober as well as we wait for the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God, a God of truth, and a God who keeps his promises, is faithful to everything he has said he will do. Lord, we acknowledge that in you and that you are that, and we, we um, honor you for it, Lord, and worship you for it as well, a God of truth. And Lord, you have said that you will come back, Lord, and you have said in Matthew 24, Lord, that there would be, that your word would be spread throughout the entire earth, Lord. And we look to that as revival, Lord. Lord, and as we wait for these things and we wait for other things that we know that you have promised, Lord, help us to not lose heart. Lord, to not be discouraged, to not give up, to not lose patience, Lord, but rather help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord, that we wait on the Lord and that you renew our strength, Lord, even in the waiting, even for the, as you did for the ones in Israel who waited for so long for you to come the first time to earth. Lord, help us to stay awake. Help us to be diligent in this time of waiting. Help us to be on guard in this time of waiting, to, to guard our walk with you, to guard our heart, to guard our attitude, Lord, that we would not be offended or turned aside or give up. Help us to wait patiently on you, Lord, and to always trust you and your word, that you are a good and a faithful God. We say these things together in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen.